Life is filled with both sunshine and storms, but without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. One of the greatest documents that have ever been penned is the Declaration of Independence. And one of the greatest statements in this document is the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence, which states, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. In the course of the human journey, God has provided all three of these unalienable rights within the pages of Scripture seen in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1 verse number 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. There's that pursuit of life. Men pursue life. Men pursue liberty. John 14, 6. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then John 8.32 says, The truth shall make you free. Jesus is liberty. And then in John 15.11, the Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Jesus Christ is our happiness. He is joy. And while the Declaration of Independence is the most important document in American history, the greatest, most significant document ever, ever penned in human history is the Word of God, the Scriptures. Why? Because in it, God provides Himself and how He gives eternal life, eternal liberty, and eternal joy through Jesus Christ. God's Word is the revelation of God to man. And in order to have eternal life, eternal liberty, and eternal fullness of joy, one must know Jesus Christ according to God's Word. Now understand this. Happiness is something that all people pursue. One would be a psychological anomaly if their life's purpose was to pursue sorrow and sadness. But that's not what people do. They seek after happiness. So many people want to be happy, but few are willing to take the right road to it. Psalm 119 depicts how one can have eternal happiness, but there's a condition by which it comes. And it is through the keeping of God's word. Now, please do not mistake what I'm trying to say. One does not have eternal life by obeying commandments. One has eternal life by trusting in Jesus Christ. One has eternal truth and liberty by having Jesus Christ. And one has eternal joy by trusting in Jesus Christ. God laid out for us in the first eight verses of of this psalm the right way, which is His way, that leads to happiness though it be straight and narrow. And the keeping of God's word is what leads to knowing God, conforming to Christ, and being happy. 
And the truth of the matter is this. If we obey God's word's way to salvation, then we are keeping his way and his word. Now, in Aleph, interestingly enough, that word keep is used twice as many times as the word blessed. Now, I want to preach to you on this message from verses 1 through 8 on Aleph, entitled, Keepers of God's Word. Keepers of God's Word. And we're going to look at that subject of the keepers of God's Word. And the first thing I want us to see is the characteristics of those who keep God's Word. In verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Now, I want you to observe the characteristics from these three verses of those who keep God. Verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with a whole heart. We see that word blessed means happy. Psalm 1, 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And continues on by saying, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The, uh, this word, blessed, means happy. And these uh, verses indicate why keepers of God's word are happy. It says, blessed are the undefiled in the way and who walk in the law of the Lord. Both of those phrases are appositional phrases, meaning that the phrases are parallel and refer to the same people, those who have trusted in Christ. Keepers of God's word are truly happy because of these two things, and I want you to see what they are. Number one, they are happy because they have spiritual integrity. They are happy because they have spiritual integrity. That word undefiled means whole, complete, or unspotted, which suggests integrity. And the phrase, in the way, speaks of the journey or path. And then the question begs, what is that way? Well, it's referring to the way of God. The Bible mentions in Matthew twenty-two sixteen, And they sent unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. And then in Mark 1, verse number 3, uh, describing John the Baptist, it says, He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's what the way is. Essentially, we can take this phrase and understand it as this. They who are believers walk unspotted by the word, uh, excuse me, unspotted by the world, pure from the pollutions of actual sin, and are true and sincere in their faith. They have spiritual integrity. They are truly as what they seem to be. They are not faking. They are exactly as they come across, what you see is what you get. Those are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. However, they didn't get that way on their own natural character and efforts. How did they become as such? And the second part of the apposition describes it to us. Not only uh, are they happy because they have spiritual integrity, but they are happy because they walk in the law of the Lord. That word walk means to behave. 
meaning that their behavior is governed in the law of the Lord. And this is reiterated in verse number 3, the latter part of that verse, they walk in his ways. A believer whose life is governed by the scriptures and obeys it uncompromisingly is a believer with spiritual integrity. God's word is authoritative. God's word is not authoritative just occasionally, but must be our authority continuously. This is living the life of holiness, and when we are right with God through Jesus Christ, folks, that makes us happy. Understand this, though. Holiness is not the result of happiness. Can I say that again? Holiness is not the result of happiness, but rather happiness is the byproduct of holiness. Keepers of God's word are holy and thus are blessed or happy. And then the third characteristic that we find here about keepers of God's word is that keepers of God's word preserve God's word. Look in verse number two. It said, blessed are they that keep his testimonies. Here the word for keep means to preserve. And the idea of preserving is like when you have something of such great value that you don't want it to be tainted or deteriorated in any way. Some people preserve cars. Some people preserve jewelry. In the opening illustration, there's that document that the United States has preserved called the Declaration of Independence. It is preserved or kept in a secure place, not to be destroyed or stolen so that it won't deteriorate because it is a document of very high value. Well, that's what that phrase keep means. It means to preserve to keep something that is of great value, keeping it from being tainted or deteriorated. And it says, blessed are they that keep his testimonies. It is preserving God's word internally as a treasure of inestimable value. Matthew Henry said this about seeking God uh, through his word uh, and about keepers of God's word. He says, they do not seek themselves and their own things, but God only this is that which they aim at that god may be glorified in their obedience that they may be happy in god's acceptance that's why we keep god's word and then number five keepers of god's word seek to live morally pure look in verse number three it says they also do no iniquity they walk in his ways Keepers of God's word do not allow themselves the occasion to sin. They don't put themselves in positions to disobey. They do not commit them as if they were servants to sin. And while sin may be occasional in every believer's life, because we cannot be perfectly sinless, however, sinning ought not to be habitual. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, 13, Keep back thy servant Also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. And I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Psalm 119, 133. Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. You see, keepers of God's word. Do not habitually sin. 
It will happen occasionally, but it is not a present tense action. As delineated in 1 John 3, verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, or does not habitually sin. Whosoever sinneth, present tense verb, habitually sins, uh, hath not seen him, neither known him. So keepers of God's word are conscious to themselves that habitual sin hinders a relationship with God and so um, will prevent their happiness, their blessedness, their fellowship with God. And their happiness comes because they exercise themselves to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Acts 24, 16. So, not only do we see the characteristics of those that keep God's word, but secondly, I want you to see the charge from God to keep God's word. The charge from God to keep God's word. Look in verse number four. It starts with thou, speaking about God. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Here the psalmist declares God's expectations concerning his word. The word commanded means to charge or to appoint. And the idea is to put in order. As if an authority says to a, uh, an employer or employee, he says, I am appointing you this job or this expectation. He is not saying, I command you to do it or else I'm going to fire you. He's just saying, I'm, giving, I'm appointing you this position. And that's what God is doing. He commands us. He charges us. He appoints us to um, keep his precepts. And what are the precepts? Well, the, the precepts, as we mentioned uh, several weeks ago, are God's meticulous regulations that examine our lives. And what has God charged us concerning his precepts? It says there, he has commanded us to keep his precepts. We are charged, number one, that his precepts observed diligently now the word for keep in verse number four is different than the word for keep in verse number two in verse number two we mentioned that it means to preserve but in number verse number four it means to observe with the idea of protecting it speaks of the keep in the castle which is the most protected and secure room and is closely guarded. A sentinel is placed there at the keep to observe and protect what is ever in that keep. The word diligently means with vehemence or passion. And so when it comes to observing God's commandments, His regulations, His appointings to keep us in order, folks, they are non-negotiable. It is our highest obligation to observe them with fervency without compromising. Again, Matthew Henry said concerning keeping God's word, we are bound and must obey at our peril. Now, when Matthew Henry said that, he was not saying that if we disobey, that God is going to strike us down. That's not true. We must obey at our peril because it is we who destroy ourselves. Our sinful nature will destroy our own selves. When we do not keep God's word, our nature will cause us to deteriorate. 
And that is why we are bound to obey at our peril. Too often Christians think that to observe and obey God, they can do it casually. This is the same mentality in the Garden of Eden when the serpent wanted Adam and Eve to take God's appointment casually. Yea, hath God said? Did God really say that? I mean, come on, you can't take that seriously. You're not going to die. You see, folks, we cannot take God's word casually. We are to keep it, to observe it by protecting it with a passion. It's non-negotiable. Keepers of God's word are fierce in observing God's word. Secondly, we cry out that our ways are directed by his word. Look in verse number five. It says, oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. The psalmist then cried out, acknowledging his own inabilities. You can kind of sense the desperation in his heart when he says, oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. You see, the psalmist knew that he had tendencies to wander from God's word. So his prayer that he cried was, was that his ways, his behavior would be directed to keep God's word. And that word directed means to be firm, to be established, to be riveted in God's word. And that word keep is the same as, as in verse number four, to observe by protecting. You see, keepers of God's word understand that they struggle. They understand that they aren't perfect. They understand that they have weaknesses. Keepers of God's word are sensible enough to know that they cannot take a single step towards godliness without God's direction. Hence, this cry, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. So we've seen the characteristics of those that keep his word and the charge to keep his word. Lastly, I want you to see the consequent effects of keeping God's word. The consequent effects of keeping God's word. In verses 6 through 8 says, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. O forsake me not utterly. This portion of the psalmist's poem begins with the word then. It indicates that upon keeping God's word, his statutes, commandments, precepts, laws, ways, and testimonies, there are resulting effects, which is why they are to be kept. And what are these consequent effects? Number one, one consequent effect is this. We would enjoy the comforts of faith in God. Verse six, then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. That word ashamed indicates being disconcerted, unsettled, or disappointed. And the word respect means to look upon, to consider, to regard with pleasure. The psalmist was saying that when he is at the point in his faith in God, when he has looked at, when he has considered God's regulations, expectations, commandments, and he deeply considers them favorably and pleasurably in his life, then he would not be as unsettled in whatever circumstance. He would have occasion not to be disconcerted and can be comforted at what he has gleaned from God's word. And as we spend time in the Bible and become doers of the word and not hearers only, appropriating it 
as binding in our hearts and souls. It increases our confidence in God. It gives us greater pleasure to be in God's word. And it settles our comfort in him no matter what circumstances come our way. Because we can say, I have faith in God's word that his promises are true to me. And then the second consequent effect of keeping God's word is this. In verse number seven, our learning of God's word affords us to praise with a sincere heart. Verse 7 says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. That phrase, when I shall have learned, can be understood as in my learning. So as I spend time in the word of God and I learn, the phrase, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart, means with an upright and sincere heart, a pure heart, God receives praise and glory. And so the indication of the psalmist upon this verse is that when his act or practice of learning God's word, the depth of impact and influence of it and its value has upon his being, it would lead him to the deepest and serious exaltation and praise of God. Has there ever been a time when you read God's word and some verse hit you so hard, you go, whoa, praise the Lord. That's an amazing verse. That's what it's talking about. And the more we grasp God in His Word, the more we know God of the Word, the more we know the God of the Word, it grips our hearts to magnify Him and praise Him. Thus, you can be blessed. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Then the third consequent effect of keeping God's Word is this. We have confidence in God that he hasn't left us to ourselves as we continue to keep God's word. Verse number eight. Look there if you would. He says, I will keep thy statutes or forsake me not utterly. This is a psalmist's firm ex expression of his purpose. He desired and intended to keep God's word. He made a commitment in his own life as Daniel purposed in his heart. We, as believers, are to purpose in our hearts. I will, I purpose to keep thy statutes. He confidently committed to being a doer of God's word. It was his deep resolution based upon the strength of God's grace, not merely to have an intellectual presence of it, but a habitual practice of it. And he was not saying that he would, be, he would perfectly keep them, but that his heart's desire and inclination was to obey God in the best humanly possible with God's grace. Because of that phrase, oh, forsake me not utterly. He was indicating that his confidence was in his keeping God's word based on praying that God would be the one to keep him keeping his word. Again, it's an indication from the psalmist. That he understands his weakness. He knew that the only way to stay true. And the only way to truly keep God's word. Is by the hand of God upon his life. John 15.5 says without me you can do nothing. Jesus said without me you can do nothing. You know what that means folks? Even keeping God's word we can't not do it without God's hand. Good and godly believers see themselves as undone 
without the power and presence of God in every aspect of life, including obeying the Bible. Good and godly men understand that disobedience to God's word in any measure breaches that closeness and fellowship with God. 1 John 2, 4 and 5 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. So keeping God's word keeps us close to the God of the word. So the questions from Aleph that we ought to be asking ourselves are these, and I close. Question one, what is the way of my heart with God? Do I regard iniquity in my heart? What is my walk with God? Do I live under the complete authority of his word? The psalmist clearly didn't trust himself, but he trusted God. And trusted God's word. That's what keepers of God's word do. They trust and obey. And I find no better way to end this message with the lyrics of a well-known hymn that describes and ascribes how we should respond to Aleph. Psalm 119, 1-8. You know the words. You've heard them. You've sung it. Of the words to trust and obey, which goes, When we walk with the Lord in the light of His word. What a glory He sheds on our way. When we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kehiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ.